electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Jay-Z is popping bottles, this time alongside Moet Hennessy, the music mogul and entrepreneur on his new Ace of Spades partnership. When we build luxury products, whether it be Rock Nation to Monogram to whatever we build, and we build in luxury products and Moet Hennessy goes about it the same way. And building on Jay-Z's business with Moet Hennessy CEO, Philippe Schoss. What Jay-Z did with this brand is really creating a new market of its own at the very high level, high prestige level of the category, uh, touching new consumers, bringing new consumers to the world of champagne. Are we there yet? Getting to a post-pandemic world? We'll hear from former FDA chief, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. I think things will be normal in the spring and the summer of this year. I think in the fall, we're going to have to take certain precautions, but we're going to be back doing stuff. Those stories, plus Bitcoin's market cap hitting $1 trillion. We used to talk about it at 10 bucks. remember? I mean, we did. I think we talked about it at less than that. The crypto surging 100% this year, but it has its doubters. I still think it's a myth to think this is being used as a currency at all. It's Monday, February 22nd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's talk about today's top corporate story. It follows that scary incident over the weekend involving a United Airlines flight over Denver. Uh, a flight bound for Honolulu experienced engine failure shortly after takeoff and was forced to make an emergency landing. You probably saw the images over the weekend. United says it will temporarily ground 24 of its Boeing 777 jets. Meantime, Boeing is now telling customers to stop flying certain uh, 777 aircraft equipped with the same type of Pratt Whitney engines uh, that broke apart during that United flight. United is the only U.S. airline with this type of engine in its fleet. The head of the FAA saying the agency will order inspections of some jets. But um, concerning images, you see this. Uh, there's been, been, been problems with the 77. Uh, seven similar uh, situation, actually, just in, in the past two years now. So, um, of course, this will raise more questions, uh, both about Boeing uh, in some instances and perhaps uh, Pratt & Whitney as well. OK, we'll uh, get to our, our Bitcoin uh, check, our uh, du jour, today's du jour, today's Bitcoin check du jour, smashing more records <laughs> over the weekend, topping, uh, 50, <laughs> topping 58,000. Uh, some of the major cryptos uh, this morning. Oh, that's interesting. We're going to start showing you more than uh, we don't want to be, you know, just single out Bitcoin. Meantime, Elon Musk uh, questioning the price of Bitcoin after its market value surpassed one trillion dollars on Friday. Musk tweeting over the weekend, the price, the prices of Bitcoin and Ether do seem high. LOL. Oh, that's his LOL. I was saying LOL. No. Yes. That's his LOL. But if you want to add an LOL or don't add an LOL uh, to that, I, that was Friday, I think, when he did it or Friday night, because it's down this morning, as you can see. And it's actually come back a little bit. But that he didn't say that like late last night. So it, it, it held above 57 and 58 even after he said that. So I don't know what you necessarily attribute 
uh, this morning's move to. I mean, it's made it such a ridiculously incredible move over the past month or so. Uh, but earlier this month, Tesla announced uh, it bought $1.5 billion in the crypto and revealed it plans to accept it as payment. And they must have pretty good uh, booked a pretty good profit. So not booked it, but have a paper profit at this point. Although the stock, as you can see, is down this morning. In a note published Saturday, Wedbush Securities analyst Dan Ives estimated Tesla, here we go, has made roughly a billion dollars in paper profits from its investment into Bitcoin, which would be more than it's made in its normal course of business, probably cumulatively. He also suggests the company is on a trajectory to make more from its Bitcoin investments uh, than profits from selling its EV electric vehicle cars in all of 2020. I thought it was more than you well, will remember they, they made that much in previous years. There was yeah. there was a time when he talked down his own stock price before um, and he, and he, without success. Yeah. But if you remember, he, he, he took to Twitter once and said that he thought his Tesla shares were overpriced. So I'm not. And and, and here they are. So I'm, I'm not sure that uh, he's uh, the, t- the tweets will have an effect. He, but on Twitter, he also remember. The, 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 right. But maybe not. But but the, the, the well, that was a big. But the real uh, the real one was when uh, he, remember when he was talking about production and said we should hit it and, and it moved. What is it by 420 or some weird? Remember that one? There was a, like a marijuana yeah. reference and it, it, it the the people were actually looking at it to see whether, you know, that was non um, on Twitter. Obviously, it doesn't seem like it would be. Uh, confidential information. But what finally happened for that? Nothing ever. There was some type of settlement, right? And what did he call the SEC? The um, He had oh, a uh, moniker for what sellers, those initials meant. Short, yeah. The short sellers, something, it, yeah, some, I forget the. But it's different. When, when he's, he's talking about Bitcoin, he may be an investor in Bitcoin, but he doesn't control Bitcoin. It's not yeah. the same as, as giving insider information when you're when tweeting about Tesla. That's the no. one significant difference between him tweeting about this and tweeting about Tesla. Right. That's true. Well, but Nobody this is what's interesting. In, in, that's, cer- that's what in certain tell, yeah. cases, in certain cases, it, and this is what's so interesting to me about Bitcoin and how it's being used right now, because there are corporate officers who are buying Bitcoin personally, perhaps, or, or telling others that their that their company might even consider buying Bitcoin, and then and then going public with it. So, if, for example, People knew prior to PayPal buying into Bitcoin, people could decide that that's material information in the same way that if Carl Icahn was about to make a make a big investment or, frankly, if Warren Buffett were to make a big investment in a stock and that information were to be passed to someone prior. There have been cases that have been brought successfully that have suggested that unto itself that that can be considered inside information. It's more complicated in this case because Bitcoin is not a regulated security in this regard. But that's why this gets a little bit. Uh, interesting. Look, it, but it's, 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 it's only a trillion dollars. It's only a trillion dollars now. It, but. Right. But it's only a trillion dollars now. If it, for example, were to become a much bigger part of the currency markets, I mean, you, you, if a corporate manager says, you know, I'm going to keep all my on my balance sheet in dollars and then suddenly the dollar rallies or if he says, you know, we're looking at gold, I think I'm going to uh, may, you know, I, I'm worried about all the money printing, so we're going to put some of our corporate balance sheet in gold. I don't know if if you'd really say that's manipulating the price of gold. Now, the Bitcoin has nowhere near the market cap of any of those things, obviously, at a trillion dollars. But you wonder if someday whether someone wants to keep, you know, 
being Bitcoin, and it's just a choice of what to put in their balance sheet in, t- in terms of uh, in terms of currency. And it's getting closer to that point. Not there yet, but you certainly wouldn't say, "Hey, this guy's this guy's juicing the dollar." By saying that he's keeping, his I don't think anyone. I don't think anybody is really using this as a. I still think it, it, it's a myth to think this is being used as a currency at all, at all. I, I think with the volatility not, that you're not, seeing not, on the screen, nobody's using it as a currency. I mean, it's it's like yeah. it's maybe like not, theater. It not when, when, if you are, when Elon they're Musk not using is, it as trade. Right. They're, they're using it as a currency alternative in terms of what to hold on their balance sheet. They may not be using it for transactions to, to either buy or sell. Uh, their products or to, to accept Bitcoin. Well, some are. It's, it's, that's a very small part of it right now. But in terms of hedging their balance sheet against what people see uh, as the debasement of the dollar. Totally. They're definitely doing that. Darren right. Ravel, so that, that's over the a weekend, currency, over the weekend, that's a currency the flavor. Yeah. You remember Darren Ravel, who used to work with us uh, covering sports and all kinds of interesting things. He tweeted over the weekend, or maybe it was in the last week, just about how originally some guy used ten dollars in bitcoin to pay for his pizza this is way back when and if he he hadn't done that those pizzas are worth like 140 million dollars or something ridiculous now but the actual gain since we used to talk about it at 10 bucks remember i mean we did i think we talked about it at less than that and and that is i mean fifty-five thousand from ten dollars i once again i'd have to use my scientific notation uh, to get a, a <laughs> what type of, of return that is. It's, uh, there's a lot of uh, right. one times 10. To, it's, it's easy to, to do that huh. when you need, because you, you just add the exponents to get to the total, even when you're multiplying. But it, the counting, out the, the, uh, counting out the zeros get, gets complicated. Now, people are going to make fun of me for that. It's hard to understand Bitcoin if you can't do scientific <laughs> notation, if you're not even that... Uh, <laughs> You're that lame. Someone said, "Wow, Joe, you're really impressed." People learn that. It, people learn that in uh, in middle school, and they go, "Really? How many people right now could do scientific notation?" I learned a lot of stuff around. It, I know. I learned a lot of stuff in middle school that I've forgotten. <laughs> it probably you think ten percent, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Our viewers, maybe eighty percent, since we have the smartest viewers, maybe around. That's why they're ah, that's why well they're said. watching. Eighty-five. Next on Squawk Pod, are we almost out of this? Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner on the many seasons of COVID. This is a transition year. We're transitioning from a pandemic phase into a seasonal phase with this virus, but it's not going to be binary. We're going to have to take certain precautions, I think, as we get into the winter 2021-2022. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. The World Health Organization investigating the origins of the coronavirus. Uh, That's the subject of uh, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb's latest op-ed in The Wall Street Journal. Uh, Joining us right now to talk more about that and the latest headlines surrounding infections and vaccines. So much to talk to him about. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA Commissioner and his CNBC contributor. He also sits on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. Uh, let's just talk about this op-ed real quick, because uh, you, you come out uh, you, 
fighting effectively. And you say the, the WHO, uh, the WHO, uh, has a real problem here. Well, look, I think that they should not have bought into this theory that the coronavirus could have been spread by food packaging. Um, this is a theory that China has been advancing really based on no evidence whatsoever. Uh, nobody that we know of outside of China, outside of what China claims, has contracted the coronavirus through food packaging, uh, more than 100 million infections around the world. And from what I'm told by people close to the WHO process is that it was table stakes for going into China, that the um, delegation had to agree to investigate these claims. But then to come out of China and lend further credence to them based on no evidence, I think was deeply unfortunate. To the extent that this delegation is going to be called upon to try to dispel um, a theory around a potential lab leak, which has more credible evidence to support it, certainly than food packaging as a theory of how this got into Wuhan in the first place, to the extent that we need to rely on their credibility, I think this undermines it. I don't think that they should have bought into this, uh, this hokey theory. Right. OK, I have two uh, more. Uh, I don't know if they're more important questions, but questions that I'm, I'm very curious. I've been waiting all weekend uh, to talk to you about. One is these comments by Dr. Fauci over the weekend suggesting that uh, we're all going to be wearing masks, irrespective of whether we've been vaccinated or not, into 2022. So if you combine getting most of the people in the country vaccinated with getting the level of, of virus in the community very, very low, then I believe you're going to be able to say, you know, for the most part, we don't necessarily have to wear masks. But if we have a level of virus that is at that level that it was months and months ago, like 20,000 per day, I want to see it go way down. When it goes way down and the overwhelming majority of the people in the population are vaccinated, then I would feel comfortable in saying, you know, we need to pull back on the masks. We don't need to have masks. Do you agree with that? I don't think so. I think that there might be circumstances where some of us will want to wear masks. I don't think this is going to be linear, too. Dr. Fauci also said that he thinks things will be normal by December. I think things will be normal in the spring and the summer of this year. I think in the fall, we're going to have to take certain precautions, but we're going to be back doing stuff. And then as we get into the deep winter, as this starts to circulate again, I think come December, we may start to pull back. That doesn't mean we're going to have shutdowns and be doing what we did this December. But, you know, it means we might not have holiday parties. Board meetings in December might be Zoom rather than in-person meetings. There's going to be things that we do differently. So this isn't going to be a linear progression over the course of the year where it gets progressively better. And then by Christmas time, it's all good. I think this is a respiratory pathogen that circulates in the wintertime. And once it becomes wintertime again in 2021, 2022, we're going to need to take certain precautions. I think if there's going to be a normal time over the next 12 months, it's likely to be this spring and summer. That spring lines up with what got a lot of play over the weekend, Scott. And that's the gentleman from uh, from, I think, Johns Hopkins. Uh, who pointed out uh, his, his, he did some estimates, and I don't know how accurate you feel that these are, but that the number of cases that just have happened and people have recovered could be six and a half times the number of cases reported. You do that math and you get up to something like 50 percent or above uh, herd immunity. You add the 15 percent of people who've gotten one shot. And I want to ask you about that, too, because there's the article that maybe one shot gives you pretty good immunity. Uh, but if you add 50 or 55 plus 15, they're saying that maybe April, this is much quieter in terms of transmission and, and hospitalizations than we're assuming and that we could be nearing herd immunity already. You think those those numbers are too high that he, the, 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 that well, doctor was I, estimating? 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's a good physician. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with those numbers, but I think I I think the sentiment's right. Uh, I suspect that we're diagnosing over the course of this about one in four infections. About 120 million Americans have had this, and you start layering on the additional Americans we're vaccinating, and it's at least 10 percent a month. We probably have more than 40 percent of the American population with some form of protective immunity right now. If you look at the data on New York and New Jersey of counties that had 45 percent or more seroprevalence going into the winter surge. They didn't have much of a winter surge if you actually screen based on that. So when you're getting to 40 to 50 percent of the population with some form of protective immunity, you don't have herd immunity, but you have enough immunity in the population that this just doesn't transfer as readily. So I do think as we get into the warm weather, as we vaccinate more of the population and in view of the fact that at least a third of Americans have had this, I do think that, you know, infection levels are going to come down dramatically over the course of the spring and the summer. B117 probably is going to mean prevalence is a little bit higher in certain parts of the country than it otherwise would have been, but I don't think it changes the overall trajectory. Um, in the UK, B117 started to really take off in a linear fashion once it got to 20% overall prevalence. I'm not sure it's going to easily get to 20% overall prevalence in a short period of time here, because if you look at states where it's prevalent right now, like Florida, they probably have already 50% seroprevalence going into this wave. So a lot of people have already had it. Hey, hey, Dr. Gottlieb, I think this is really important. I, I'm really glad to hear you say that he's a good physician. I spoke with him yesterday, Dr. Um, Marty Macri, and we've had him on the show in the past. He's on. Uh, he's a contributor at another network now, so he can't come on with us right now. But I did talk to him, and he laid out some of these things. The one thing he said is that the, the phrase that he wrote that's getting picked up so much that you know, it's going to be mostly gone by April. He wishes that maybe he could have reworded that. But I think he lines up pretty clearly with what you've been saying on a lot of these things that, that come spring, come summer, we're going to be at a much more normalized pace. And, and the biggest point he pointed out was this idea that we are looking at under reporting of, of these cases and we're looking at under reporting and then kind of going to studies that have shown based on the antibody tests, he thinks that those are underreporting things, too, because the antibodies go up. But you still have the T cells. And so his guesswork on all of this is kind of based on the idea that even the antibody counts undercount it by about half. It's not a crazy sentiment. No, and the modeling shows we're probably diagnosing one in four, maybe one in five when you talk to certain people, certain modelers who are estimating a little bit higher. But a lot, about a third of the American public has had this infection. I just I think the only caution here and, and Dr. Fauci was on TV as well talking about December being normal. I just don't think it's going to be a linear progression here. I think that we're going to have a period where it's going to be normal. And I think it's going to be like Woodstock in America. I think people are going to be going out and doing a lot of stuff this summer, a lot of pent up uh, demand for consumer spending. And then as you get into the fall, I think we're going to be taking certain precautions. If grade school kids go back to school but aren't vaccinated, which I don't think they will be, maybe you see potting and masks in grade schools. Um, but then as we get into the deep winter, remember, this is a coronavirus that's, that circulates in the wintertime. It's going to start to circulate again. And you're going to see people start to take precautions. Businesses start to take uh, more precautions. So it's not going to be a linear progression. This is a transition year. We're transitioning from a pandemic phase into a seasonal phase with this virus. But it's not going to be binary. We're going to have to take certain precautions, I think, as we get into the winter of 2021, 2022. Doctor, you mentioned kids, and uh, I had an interesting conversation over the weekend, actually, with some parents uh, who have kids. We were all talking together uh, about the following issue. Hopefully, all of us adults will be vaccinated uh, come this summer, if not sooner. But some of the kids may not, uh, teenagers and the like may not. Obviously, anybody uh, uh, un un under 16, uh, the, some of those studies are still taking place. So my question to you is, as a parent, the parent quote unquote, may be safe. The kids may not be. 
How would you think about um, sleepover parties, all the stuff, anything indoors, all of the stuff that people have been trying to avoid during this thus far? Look, I think it's going to depend on what the prevalence is. And if we're in a low prevalence environment this spring and summer, I think I'm going to be, be pretty comfortable allowing my kids to get back to normal activity as well. And I would expect kids to be in summer camp and doing things that are typical of what kids do in the summertime. I think come the fall and the winter, um, you may need to take some precautions. Grade school kids, in my view, won't be vaccinated. The trials are underway. There are smaller trials right now. The, the companies are probably going to test lower doses in adolescent kids under the age of, let's say, 10 or 12. Um, and those trials are going to be harder to enroll. It's going to be hard to enroll trials over the spring and the summer when there's not a lot of infection. So I don't know that the vaccines are fully ready for adolescent kids come the fall um, school season. I don't know that these things are authorized for under 12. I think it, there is a possibility that vaccines do get put into a high school age environment come um, the fall school season. But I think in, in, in the fall and the winter, at least at the start of the year for grade school kids, we're still uh, taking precautions. Kids are still unvaccinated. Now we know younger kids are at less risk from COVID than older kids. They seem to clear the infection much more quickly. They don't get as sick on the whole, but there still is some risk. And I don't think that age population is likely to be vaccinated at the start of the school year. Okay, doctor, thank you uh, for running through all of these. So, so many different issues uh, that we've hit you with. Uh, from over the weekend. We look forward to talking to you very, very soon. Thanks again. Coming up on Squawk Pod, music mogul Jay-Z building luxury brands from Ace of Spades champagne to high-end cannabis. How he got started and where he's going from here. We were just kids celebrating being alive. You know, there were reports that, you know, kids from our neighborhood wouldn't make it past 21. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we're talking about Bitcoin, which is now down about 7%, uh, down over $4,000, but it's down actually up more than 8% at one point. Uh, it, I think, Becky, before we call it uh, corrections or the C word or any of that type of stuff, we just need to factor in the, the I think, a new... What happened um, over the weekend? You know, new numbers for, it, you know, that, it was fine after Elon Musk. I, and it had already gone up. I just mean that 8% in Bitcoin is not 8% in the stock market. I mean, it, that's why I think we need new right. words for what we call when we call it either a correction or, a, or the, like I said, the C word, which I don't, I don't even like to use that. I call it like when it happens with an automobile, it's an accident. It's not a crash. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Now this is whipsawing. Woo. Woo. Our last interview on today's pod 
is a cool one. Sean Jay-Z Carter announced this morning that he is teaming up with Moet Hennessy, the wine and spirits arm of luxury conglomerate LVMH, and naturally the company behind iconic luxury champagnes like Moet and Chandon, Krug, and Dom Perignon. Jay-Z up until today owned Armand de Brignac, the luxury bubbly known due to its iconic packaging as Ace of Spades. You might have seen it during its cameo in Jay-Z's Show Me What You Got music video, or from pretty much any high-end champagne moment captured on social media. Bottles cost anywhere from $300 to well over $1,000. Jay-Z bought 50% of the Armand de Brignac brand 15 years ago. He upped his stake to 100% in 2014, and now he's back to 50. Moet Hennessy is taking over the other half. Of course, Jay-Z isn't just dabbling in business. He's a mogul. His other liquor brand, Doucet Cognac, is another high-end sip. His luxury cannabis company, Monogram, think $70 joints, was just bought by one of California's biggest weed cultivation centers and dispensaries, and the cannabis conglomerate just had a public market debut in Canada via SPAC, of course. He also founded Rock Nation, his own foundation, and helped found the Reform Alliance alongside rapper Meek Mill, working on prison reform. Jay-Z has been instrumental in providing PPE to prisons throughout the pandemic. He's known as a lot of things. Hova, Mr. Carter, hip-hop's first billionaire. Seriously, can't knock his hustle. Here's Becky. Joining us right now with more on this deal is music mogul and entrepreneur Sean Jay-Z Carter and Philippe Schaus, who is the CEO of Moet Hennessy, the wines and spirits arms of LVMH. And gentlemen, welcome to both of you this morning. It's really great to see you on the news of this deal. Um, Jay-Z, I was hoping we could start with you. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Jay-Z, I was hoping we could start with you because I know that you are incredibly particular about how you do things. You talked about this with title. You don't do things the easy way. You do things the way you think are going to have the best results. So why Moet? Um, yeah, I, you know, it just was aligned in our thinking and thoughts and, um, you know, the way they care about products and creating products. You know, when we built um, um, our mind from the ground up, you know, we wanted to do things right. Integrity of it had to be right. They saw you. Of course, it had to be in Champagne because it can't be called Champagne unless it's from the region. So, you know, when we build luxury products, whether it be, you know, from Rock Nation to Monogram to whatever we build, we build in luxury products and um, Moet Hennessy goes about it the same way. So we were aligned in our, in our thoughts of integrity and passion for the things that we build. And, you know, when I met up, uh, it started with Alexander. No, we had conversations, and then um, Bernard and No, they they came to my house to have lunch in Los Angeles, my Los Angeles home, and maybe October of 2019. And you know, those conversations, um, you know, escalated pretty quickly. And I see these guys were men of their words. They say they're going to call you Thursday. It's Thursday. It just started out in a place of respect, and um, it built from there. It built pretty quickly. Philippe, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. Why this brand? Why did you come to Jay-Z? Well, this brand uh, is in the field of prestige champagnes, which is a very attractive category in which we have already several brands like Dompeignon or Krug. But of course, what Armand de Brignac did or what Jay-Z did with this brand is really creating a new market of its own at the very high level, high uh, prestige level of the category. Uh, touching new consumers, bringing new consumers to the world of champagne uh, with a very disruptive way of marketing, of bringing the product uh, across. And, and that brand became a huge success. And we have been observing it uh, for the last few years. 
And so when thanks to the relationship between uh, Alexandre uh, Arnaud and uh, Jay-Z, I was uh, invited to these discussions. I mean, it was uh, it was very uh, exciting to us to to enter this world, uh, partner, and what we felt we could bring to the brand, uh, which uh, is already very successful, is the the sheer power of our international distribution network, which really can, uh, ranging from Asia to Europe and North America and Latin America and Africa, can really bring that brand uh, further up from its current place, where it's already very very successful to even higher levels in the future. Jay-Z, this has to be particularly sweet. For, for those who aren't familiar with the creation of this brand, you used to be a fan of Cristal. You used to, to, to sing about it. You used to talk about how you were, would drink it. And then the head of Cristal, the company that makes Cristal, made some ridiculous comments back in 2006, and you boycotted. What, talk a little bit about that, just coming from that insulting comments to be able to build this brand over the span of such a short period of time. Yeah, we were just kids celebrating being alive. You know, there were reports that, you know, kids that from our neighborhood wouldn't make it past 21. So, you know, we were celebrating being alive. We were exploring all luxury products and we happened upon a brand called Cristal. And, um, you know, we popularized this brand uh, within our community. And then there was those, those comments in The Economist. I think anyone else could look them up and see what they were. We were happy being uh, consumers of, uh, of this brand. And, you know, as the universe would have it, an opportunity came right shortly thereafter. And it was just perfect to, you know, build our own thing. Uh, the same way, you know, we built you know, Rock Nation. The idea of it was we wanted a record deal. It wasn't this plan to build this, um, this big media company. Um, it was we, we actually wanted a deal. I wanted a record deal. And when we couldn't get one, we built our own. Um, similar to, you know, those comments uh, forced us to build our own thing. And yes, today it feels very, feel, you know, it's, a, it's a happy day and uh, feel very vindicated from that time. Yes. As you should. Do you see other opportunities, places where your community is not being appreciated and, and loved? Other things that you might be able to do? Well, yeah, we, we live in America, right? So we have a long way to go to, uh, um, towards inclusivity. So there's many sectors. Um, Think about uh, I mean, just all the things that we're in. I may be the highest ranking tech CEO, um, you know, owning title. Again, the only one with a luxury, um, the highest ranking. Um, maybe that's going too far, but I, I check. Definitely champagne, the highest ranking African-American uh, owner of a luxury uh, goods product. So, yeah, it, there's there's um, plenty room um, to go from here. Gentlemen, we know your time is short today, but we do appreciate you being with us. We'd love to have you both back to talk more about this partnership and other things that you're working on. But Jay-Z and Philippe, thank you very much for joining us and congratulations on this deal today. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please share Squawk Pod with a friend or leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.